Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Behind the Scene, a bi-monthly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. This week uh, is going to be a little bit different with this episode because this is the first time that we are going to be talking about something that, at least in my mind, hasn't been settled yet. And what we're going to be talking about today is colorism, which is, I don't even know what kind of definition to put on that. Sure. You want a definition real quick? Give us a definition. Colorism. Hey, y'all. Colorism. Gee, this is my favorite thing to talk about. No, it's not. But Israel, we're going to talk about it. Okay, so colorism. This is basically when black and brown people have difficulties with each other because of the different shades of our skin tone. And some of that is evidenced by jealousy, our sense of what's beautiful and what isn't beautiful Mm -hmm. in the context of our own variations in skin tone. Yes. Okay. That that's good. I think, uh, it's also helpful to know that we are talking about this, even though I haven't really processed it myself. Usually what will happen is I'll mull something over for a couple months or at least a couple weeks. And then once I kind of have the aha moment, then I'm like, okay, Brandon, let's talk about this. And, uh, and I'm like, and he's like, no, <laughs> he's like, no. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, but this stems from our last episode where we had Todd Call on and we discussed racism in dating. And he touched on it a little bit. And a lot of listeners picked up on that, uh, obviously. what So we talked about how pop culture and, and whiteness influences what we consider beautiful and what we consider beautiful influences informs who we decide to date. And so um, in that, I had so many people reach out and talk about, you guys need to do an episode on colorism. Todrick touched on it a little bit. That's just the thing. I'm like, okay, people are demanding it. We're going to talk about it, even though, honestly, it was a little unsettling to me because my exposure, I have an understanding of the roots of it. But some of the comments, y'all, if you go on the Facebook page and look at some of the comments that people posted about Todrick and and supposedly, at your own risk. Hey, yeah, at your own risk. Say a prayer before you go on there. We try to engage with them a little bit. We even talked, honestly, about bringing some of them onto the show to kind of talk it out. But one of the things that Brandon, you mentioned, was this person didn't see very open to, very open-minded to change, having their mind changed. Yeah, yeah. And that's without knowing anybody, you know. But tr- truthfully enough, it's like, you know, someone who's open, you know, I think wouldn't give... Um, you know, such criticism to Tajik without knowing who he is, mm-hmm. you know. And the basic criticism is that, you know, Tajik, because of some of the things that he said, you know, it was he was called anti-black or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, y'all looked at him, right? He is black, right? Did yeah. y'all say he anti-himself? And I understand the psychology of the statement, but to make that claim about someone else with such vitriol and to continue that narrative, you know, for um, several you know, um, uh, uh, ranges of, or, or links of messages, you know, mm-hmm. um, on our Facebook page, you know, was just, um, it just wasn't very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. It just seemed not nice and it's just not what we're about. Yeah. And, um, and we're not censoring anybody. We just, 
Yeah. You're more than welcome, you know, to post anything that you want on our Facebook page. But in terms of who we engage with, we reserve the right to do that. Mm. Um, because what we're doing is modeling peaceful engagement here. We're not calling anybody names. Totally. Yeah. So No, and that's exactly right. And, you know, one, one of these days we will talk to someone who um, who maybe doesn't see exactly as we see. And uh, and I look forward to that day engaging. But I we also, do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's for true. For sake. That's well, true. We, we do know, that. For, we do that. That's a good point. Um, and so... Uh, but we, anyone that we invite into dialogue, we want them to have a posture of, of openness and, um, and, and respect and respect. So. Yeah. Just dignifying everybody. Absolutely. And so some of that, like, like I said, I had an understanding about what colorism is. And so that's what we'll talk about today. It's kind of the history where it comes from stems all the way back to slavery and then kind of why we're talking about it today, how it manifests itself today in proximity to whiteness, because it, it, it was born out of whiteness and what whiteness defines as beautiful. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about pop culture again, because there are some things that have happened, some headlines that I think are that touch on this a little bit. And so those are the things we'll talk about, but I was legitimately just kind of shook up as I was reading those comments, as I was kind of going around the internet and researching a little bit more, there just seems to be, so not only is, is colorism occurring if you think about it as a color spectrum, you have colors on both sides that are shades on both sides of it. So not only are you getting it from the whiteness side, the white supremacy side where, you know, uh, you're getting oppression and marginalizing and dehumanizing the dignity of people based on the color of their skin and also the shade of it. But then if you are one of those people like Todrick, who he mentioned in the show, he, he's had opportunities because he has what is perceived as beautiful eyes, beautiful to white people. And so he's been given some opportunities from that. Then you have on the other side of that, uh, I don't even know what you would say, just from the black community, um, more more hate too. So you're getting it from both sides. And so, you, you know, how can you, that's got to be a super hard place to live. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, Tajik's one of these rare people, y'all, you know, I mean, he's articulate, he's creative, he's intelligent, um, you know, the art alone, the, the, the artist side of him alone has this ability to tap into the psychology of the human experience in a way in which we can all relate. And I, I think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, his experiences, you know, as a gay man, as a black man who just who happens to have bright colored eyes, right? to be self-aware enough to actually recognize, you know, some of the things that have to, you know, um, happen to him in order to win over certain audiences. You know, there is something along the spectrum of blackness, you know, that just depending on who your audience is makes you seem more exotic, mm-hmm. you know, makes you seem more um, kind of entertaining or, or interesting or unique, you know, if not odd, you know, and a lot of what um, tends to, you know, sell in a lot of ways, you know, for a lot of companies, you know, or a lot of um, kind of organisms, you know, that are putting people in front of others, you know, for entertainment or business, or whatever it might be, are, are looking for odd folks have you ever have you looked at new york fashion week any time recently you know mm-hmm. where we're like a lot of people you know are, are 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 beautiful but they're beautiful because they're odd and they're unique you know and it's not saying that Tajik is not odd todd's <laughs> a, not an odd looking person you know he's a he's a very attractive looking person um but there, there's something different in the way that his eyes are when you compare them to the way that most black people are perceived in terms of their eyes you you notice him you know um i know that in my own family you know we have the full range 
you know, of eye color, skin tone, hair texture, all those things, you know, in my family. And, um, you know, I was very present, you know, growing up, you know, to this, this thought of what was, a, was, of what was approaching more whiteness or what looked more white as being more beautiful, as opposed to being more, um, uh, sort of in a darker shade of brown or, or black with brown eyes and coarse hair, um, that, that that wasn't as beautiful and it wasn't as appealing. And, um, and even certain things that a person could, could, could think, you know, at that certain point. Now, does that mean that I'm black hating? Absolutely not. I'm not black hating. I love my blackness and I love my black heritage and I love my black culture. But imagine, and I said this on the podcast just briefly, and I've mentioned it here before, that up until the time I was 30 years old, I had been force fed all these other things about what beautiful was. And it took, you know, a lot of difficult things, you know, to get me to realize, hey, part of it is I just don't like me. Mm. And I didn't know that my blackness was something to that I could celebrate and that I could still be successful in life. I felt like I had to choose mm. which I was going to match to. And this is part of the issue with colorism, you know, is, is, is still this conversation about what is beautiful versus what isn't as beautiful or is black beautiful or are all or um, are only certain shades of black beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Are only certain shades of of black um, getting opportunities or getting equality or or um, a, a, a different kind of access to resources, right? Mm-hmm. All of that is is in the context of this conversation of colorism. Yeah, and just like anything, that if we you know talk about where does this stem from? Because I think that there's truth in there's threads of truth in everything, and um, because things don't occur in a vacuum, and I, I'm going to probably end up saying that on every episode for the rest of my <laughs> life. Uh, no, because I'm looking, I'm looking at this, that these some of these comments and the vitriol, and I'm realizing, I'm thinking to myself, okay, there must, there's some legitimate pain here, there's some legitimate trauma that's super ingrained. Like this isn't just something that like, you know, 2000s, you know, light skinned people started uh, getting opportunities, and so there's you know some shade being thrown on them, like there's there's a long history here to to colorism and so where does that stem from well y'all like all things <laughs> we got to go all the way back to the root okay mm-hmm. so some folks decided they were going to go get you know some black folks put them on a boat bring them over to the americas okay that's the shorthand story okay now in the context of all that you know, the white majority realized, you know what, these are people that have a lot of spirit, <laughs> you know, they've, they've got a sense of overcoming in them. We have to break it in order to keep this economic kind of mobility structure happening for us. Mm-hmm. How do you, this is the question that's being asked, keep a black man, woman, child, how do you keep them in the bondage of slavery psychologically, not just physically? Mm-hmm. So all you people out there who are listening, go look up a man by the name of Willie Lynch and you'll find some interesting connections um, to Willie Lynch, which we will not go on here. So I don't um, make people too angry in one episode, but um, there's uh, a history with this guy uh, teaching, training other slave masters, plantation owners, you know, how to keep their slaves um, in the bondage of slavery. And so um, he was one of the guys who was teaching, you know, hey, you know what, take your light-skinned Negroes, 
put them in the house and keep your dark-skinned Negroes in the field. And of course, the house was representative of, of, um, of uh, not as difficult of labor. Mm -hmm. And the field uh, work was harder labor. Mm -hmm. It was more difficult and more challenging. And so you can imagine you know, what the positive and negative reinforcement is there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are of darker skin, looking at someone who is lighter skin being treated differently than you, mm -hmm. or the reverse, if you were lighter skin, looking at someone who was darker skin, getting treated differently mm -hmm. than you, yeah. then there are certain notions that can get into your mind about um, freedom, yeah. who is more free than another, mm -hmm. and what makes you worthy of that freedom or that variation of freedom. Um, so you actually stop looking at the difference be between what it means to be white and free and black and free, rather what it means to be light skinned yeah. and more free oh, rather than dark skinned and less free. That's some jacked up stuff. Like that, it is. That, that'll, uh, that'll mess with someone's head. Like if you, like that's some, that's some like top level gaslighting stuff. It is, like right. Like yeah. I'm thinking also of, of Cinderella and, you know, and how she was, you know, it's not anything to do with shades, but it is, you are looking at a second class type of person. So she is, you know, stepsister. So she is resigned to do a lot of the labor in the house, whereas her, her sisters get uh, all the new clothes and treated well and opportunities to go to the ball. Um, and so, yeah, I can totally see how if you are in the house, you're in close proximity to the family, the slave owners. And so it looks like there's a certain amount of favoritism there. And in any ecosystem that you go into, whether it's, you know, if, you, if you're in a classroom and you have the teacher's pet, like that really does, it, it ingrains in you a certain amount of resentment toward that person. Mm -hmm. And like that is just, that is incredible. Like that is, yeah. That's a, yeah, it's that's like a, a little shocking, yeah. right? It's very shocking. And then imagine that, that, that this wasn't just something that happened, you know, like this was something that someone actually sat down and wrote it out and mm -hmm. said, this is a strategy yeah. that we're going to deploy, you know, in the Southern colonies, you know, wherever this was happening, you know, um, you know, to certain, um, you know, folks who would pay for this service, you know, to learn how to keep your Negro enslaved, you know, the, the, this was, this was like the, first troll <laughs> you know what i mean it was like the worst troll you know ever you know was um and 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 honestly brilliant you know you you know you game game totally respect game you know what i mean that if you were intelligent enough you know to actually consider um you know what you know, not not only had you broken down people to a certain amount already but then you recognize you intentionally recognize that there's something resilient going on in them mm -hmm and intentionally go after breaking it down for what in order to keep your economic system flourishing yeah. right uh, yeah and in order to keep your sense of self and the sense of collective value rising right because you knew inherently in the deep subconscious somewhere someone saw these people are just like us they're humans just like us mm. someone knew it and they went after it anyway yeah you know so um so Fortunately, um, we have a little bit of history on that. Unfortunately, we're dealing with the ramifications of it still. And, um, and uh, you know, I mentioned on the last episode, you know, where we've learned to call it, you know, sort of in, 
In the black community, we call it crabs in a barrel, you know, or crabs in a bushel. Um, if you can picture, you know, that as one crab sort of crawls to the top of the bushel, then there's another crab and its claw reaching up from the bottom. It grabs you by your legs and, pull, and pulls you down to where he's at. And that is functionally uh, the, the reaction of colorism is that mm-hmm. if someone is succeeding, oh man, um, then I'm not good enough. I got to pull yeah. them down because yeah. then, I'll, then I won't get a chance if they get right. a chance. You know, that's part of the the uh, the, the outcome of um, you know, from the psychology of that. You mm-hmm. know, for generations now. And I think that that's kind of what jacked me up. Was like I, I heard you talk about that. I was there when you, you were when there. You said that. Yeah, yeah, incredibly. And did you uh, not know what I meant I, when I no, said it? I think I like I understood it. Like I like as just a, an idea. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But then as I'm getting out there, like sitting on the internet and actually looking around at some of the things people are saying, I'm like, whoa, how can there be this much like hate for someone? Like I, and this sounds bad, but like I can understand the ignorance that, you know, because white supremacy is so ingrained in our society and whiteness, like I can understand the ignorance that I myself was in because I was, I was in it, but I was never, and I like to, and I always try to parse this, I was never hateful. I was, I, I want to say I was ignorance, um, but this is just like, there's no other way to, to say that it's anything other than hate. And, um, and I think that that's kind of what shook me a little bit. And a friend of mine, uh, in, in another conversation, she brought up how there were stories about during Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, even uh, there were uh, in a certain section of New Orleans, uh, uh, divided by street, by light and dark. And there were stories of how they weren't even they weren't helping each other even it's after true. Hurricane Katrina. And so I'm just like, like we, there's so much oppression and racism in the world. Why? What, like that's just another element that I haven't even factored in. That I'm like, I guess made the whole thing look twice as big. Like if you think about racism being and white supremacy being a Mount Everest, and thinking, oh, well, I'm going to try to climb that shit um, to tear it down. And then being exposed to colorism, I think that that's, it just looked twice as big. Like you get to the top of Mount Everest and then you look up and you're like, oh, I'm actually only halfway wow. there. You yeah, know? that's that, that's an interesting perspective from your point of view. Um, yeah, I actually respect that opinion. I, I, I respect that insight because that's not, you know, when like you're climbing Mount Everest, recognizing that there's another height to go mm. and there's more to understand, more to experience there. Like, I'm barely aware of how great that divide is mm. because I'm constantly climbing the mountain of it, mm. right? Mm. So it's like, or it's always showing up. There's always some sort of avalanche or the potential for something mm. to fall on you or something like that, you know? Mm. Um, case in point, I had an, well, let me also make sure that we're clear on this is that for people that didn't understand too, that the folks that we're talking about, they were giving Tatrick the shade that these mm-hmm. were people of color that were giving him the shade, yes. right? Yeah. The, the, these weren't like white folks that were right. doing it. These were black folks that were doing it, giving mm-hmm. him shade. Okay. And the people, uh, and if you go look like the people who are coming to his defense are, there are other black people, but a lot of white people. Too, yeah. But, right. 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 It's, so, true. it's true. It's true. It's true. So, so I digress briefly, but I even, I, I had a situation just the other night you know where you know i was in an email exchange with someone uh, or with a group of people and um and i'm and i'm leading a 
particular thing going on um, on this email chain. And, and there was um, another person of color, you know, who chimed in basically, you know, who is a volunteer in the situation and tried to take charge of the whole thing, you know, and basically, you know, come in with the moral high ground, basically, you know, and basically, you know, just kind of telling me and a couple of people what we needed to do, you know, because otherwise we're not moral or not principled enough, you know, um, we're not moving fast enough and all of that. And I said, you know, these are things that, you know, I'm constantly navigating through and have constantly navigated through in my life is having other black people or brown people look at either the relationships that I'm building, my ability to make, to build relationships and build bridges. Mm-hmm. And then the opportunities that have come from that and then come back with even more vitriol at mm-hmm. times and say, look at you, just uncle Tom mm. or whatever, you know, mm. if I could count on one hand, how many times I've been calling Uncle Tom, I need 25 hands. It's just a lot of hands, <laughs> you know, for the time, just because of who my friends are, because of what I do in the world, because of who I'm doing it with. Um, and in, in like comparison to where other people have not achieved, you know, other people of color have not achieved something. This is not everybody. This is just, it, it's, it's a small group of people, you know, who are, um, who are triggered by, by black success. Mm-hmm. And, um, and black excellence, especially once black excellence comes out of the black world of excellence, mm. right? When when black excellence actually does go into the majority um, and into the majority culture, we celebrate it for some, but we then demonize certain people, especially if they go off the beaten path of what black rhetoric is, mm. you know? So so there's, there's, a, there's a lot there, guys. But um, anyway, but I, I think it's just important to note that this is a real thing that um people who are black are going through you you could even see it you know in popular culture gabrielle union's gone through it um uh, um uh, what's her name um D- tracy ellis ross you know a lot of these other black folks you know who have been popular in their black experience and their black success but then as soon as they sort of cross over into these more mainstream entertainment um moments you know then they so long as they're still acting black, they're fine. But once they're not quote unquote acting black anymore, then they're Uncle Tom's or whatever you want to call them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, super. And anyway, it's just fascinating and, and it's deep. And I know it's, and in most cases, it's not meant to be malicious. It really is just a, a reaction to an ingrained pain of value um, or, or, or a sense of a lack of worth that, that's going on in our collective identity as black people. Mm. And I think, yeah, that, and that's a good point because you're ta- talking, as you're talking, I'm thinking about colorism and its proximity to whiteness and um and how if you look at it like who is who is benefiting who is being entertained by uh black entertainers like totter has a lot of white uh white girls as fans uh beyonce um who are these people being entertained by and paid by um it's it's white people and it's whiteness and it's this economic framework that was put in place by going 400 years back by slave owners to perpetuate slavery. And so, you know, America very early on became a huge economic powerhouse on the backs of enslaved people. And so um, that proximity to whiteness, white supremacy, this very evil, divisive, dehumanizing uh, social construct, um, I can, I guess, I guess that that's what it is. But mm-hmm. it, and so I was also thinking about cultural appropriation, which I think that mm-hmm. there is legitimate appropriation that occurs that is that is shameful. 
um, mm -hmm. that white uh, benefits from, mm -hmm. you know, the the artistic expression of oppressed people and marginalized people. But this isn't like this is altogether different from even cultural appropriation. It, it's in proximity to it again. So I guess that that's why I, I have trouble understanding. I still have just trouble understanding. Like that's a lot. Like I understand the trauma and cognitively I get it, but I just I'm like, how can you sit down and tear someone down? You know. Well, at it's it's really funny that you even bring it up because we talk about this comment, you know, that these folks made about Todrick calling him sort of black hating anti black. The irony about the whole thing is that their very behavior is anti black. Their very behavior is black hating, right? They are attacking a black person who is different than they are, <laughs> right? So what's what's in the psychology of all of that is exactly what what I think you know um, we've stated already, which is like, you know, why does a person hate themselves so much, mm -hmm. right? Why except that you are being reflected into the world and into the universe in a form that you are afraid is going to be co-opted or that you feel like is being um, kind of manipulated in order to be more popular, to be more entertaining to white culture. And you don't want that to be you. But the reality is that that in the depth of you is exactly what you know and exactly what you're wanting, mm. except that someone else beat you to it. Mm. And now you're mad that it's not mm. you. That's really what it was. Mm. These these folks, if I'm, I don't know them, but let's just say hypothetically, allegedly, whatever, that in reality, they're just jealous of Todrick and want to be him. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the thing, no. you know? Now, I don't know, but I'm sure that exists. Mm -hmm. I don't know those folks in particular. That's why I said we're not about hate here. We're about respecting the dignity and people in their own voices. But in reality, it's like, I don't have time to sit around hating on Todrick if I'm out here doing good in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So if you felt empowered and full of purpose in your own life, you wouldn't mm -hmm. have time to look at what he's doing and what he's saying and finding negative in it. Yeah. You'd be doing something positive with your own time. Yeah. But instead, you're finding time to do black-on-black -black cultural social media hating. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of toleration for that, not even enough toleration to respond to it. Yeah. That reminds me of, I was watching uh, Brene Brown's special on Netflix, and I think she said something really insightful in there. If you're not familiar with Brene Brown, she's a, a sociologist, a researcher. She's a social worker. A she social is a worker. PhD in social. Yeah. I'm going to find you, girl. Hey, I'm going nice. to find you. You, yeah. you. you and me, Brene. Yes. You, me, and Oprah. We all, and Gail King. We're all going out, and we're going to have like some really good time. And as, and as a matter of fact, we're going to go hang out with Meghan Markle okay. and the new baby. Okay. All of us together. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Oh, man. All go right. ahead if to I, your point, though. If you can invite me to out, because she's also a, a fellow Texan. She's yes, she in is. Houston, Texas. And yeah. So we, we have a lot of uh, commonality here. But she said something really <laughs> smart when she first blew up and if you're not familiar with her background uh or how she rose her profile her fame rose she gave um one of the most viewed tedx talks ever in the history on vulnerability of, on, and on, shame on vulnerability and shame and it just blew up and but from that so obviously there's like it blew up because it was popular and people really resonated they really resonated with what she was saying what she was saying resonated with people uh, but with that came the vitriol and the comments yep. uh, that were really hateful and ugly. And she really had to overcome those. And, you know, the self-talk and the things that she was saying to herself was she had to realize this is exactly why I didn't want this kind of platform was because mm -hmm. I didn't want the junk. But now, you know, some of her new work is touching on courage and how courage and vulnerability go hand in hand. 
and how she's getting into the arena and she doesn't pay attention to anybody's perspective unless they're in there sweating and getting broken and cut and wounded along with her in the arena come on jesus isn't she right she telling the truth she preaching the truth that's how i feel right now that's why i'm like look like we're out here People give us so much criticism and whatever, like for just not being a little bit more tawdry in our conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I think that what 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 we're doing different, you know, Mark, I, I think, you know, than some, and it's not to criticize anyone else, you know, but I think that we're not shying away, you know, from the topical matter, but our interaction with each other is very intentionally like, we are going to model this in a way that we hope really is helpful, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to taking positions and then not actually digging deep to the point of conflict um, or to the point where you have to choose to sit across one another, you know, mm-hmm. and we show up, listen, y'all, Mark and I might have a fight when this thing is over and we may not have no more podcasts, you know, I can't guarantee you anything, <laughs> you know, I said, but in reality, we are intentionally coming to the table every time we're like recording this with the baseline of, of like respect and dignity, knowing that we have different experiences in this area. Not know, I don't know if he's going to say something crazy or not. I don't know what Mark's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. He's going to have to blot me out, black me out. He's going to be like, no, he's going to censor me. But no, he won't do that. No, no, no. But, but anyway, I think, you know, my point is that this is functionally, you know, why we're having the conversation on colorism too, is that this is a conversation that people of color need to begin having with, with ourselves mm-hmm. around what this hate and vitriol is, um, or even just the practice of criticism in a negative way, you know, not constructive criticism at all, mm-hmm. you know, is, um, is really doing to us and doing to our imprint, you know, and the mark that we can make in the world if we were to come together with just these basic human ideals, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and so that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah, you're right. Um, I could say something completely stupid. And that's why when we sat down <laughs> to record this episode, I'm like, uh, there's a little bit of anxiety too, because I'm like, I don't have a settled thought. But then I'm also like, well, this isn't really my, this isn't my playground, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to learn and understand colorism, but I'm not experiencing colorism, right? you know? And so, uh, so that once I had that realization, that's when I'm like, okay, well, maybe, uh, maybe I can just learn some things. Um, one thing that we are, uh, wanted to do was some of those people who asked us to do an episode on colorism. Uh, we, we asked for some feedback, um, because this is a Mount Everest. Um, we, and so we want to start including more voices and we'll, well, always release some information on Instagram. That's where, if we're going to solicit any kind of voice or perspective, that's where we're going to do it. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, follow us at behind the scene pod, um, where our social media manager joy is doing some bang up work joy thanks joy thanks shout joy. out joy that's right and follow mark at bark yeah. mauer bark mauer that's right and then follow me at brandon polk brandon polk spell it right though yes it's now it's not brandon bulk no it's, it's not it's it's <laughs> brandon and brandon <laughs> with an e not yeah, with an that's o that's right yeah get it right y'all yeah. Uh, and so that's where we'll, if we're going to solicit anything, that's where it's going to occur. And so we did get some response. Um, I would also say that this is a shared endeavor. You know, if we're trying to combat our biases, combat racism, uh, if anything that we say, I know that a lot of you do, uh, do share our episodes. We're going to try to create more micro content on Facebook to, to do that as well. That would be more shareable 
but um but i was reading an article today about how most podcasts are discovered because somebody shared them and uh and so let's let's share this load together amen uh and so amen you know if it's sharing is caring if you don't think we're popular enough to uh to you know slide into somebody's mailbox you know drop them the totter one the racism that's right and dating one just um, remember like we said sharing is caring sharing is caring sharing is caring that's our new hashtag be right. seen that, sharing is caring be seen <laughs> uh and so what we're gonna do is uh our our friend selena responded uh she sent us some audio uh and she just posited a question and so uh, or comment her own thoughts on colorism and so we're going to play that and then we're going to respond to that comment after in terms of colorism i'd have to agree with something todrick said in the last episode um concerning the entertainment business and how some actors and actresses are quote unquote more digestible um in terms of like their skin tone when he spoke of the beyonce and kelly issue I definitely could relate to that because I even see it in TV commercials. Although I'm glad to see that black couples and individuals are being represented. It's often the mixed race women um, with bouncy curls and lighter skin that land the role. And growing up, I mean, I remember sometimes people would mistake me for being of mixed race simply as an assumption based on my lighter complexion. And my response would usually be, nope, I'm just black, as if to say, I'm sorry, I'm not as interesting as you had hoped. That was my thought process back then. Now, it's only recently that black is being accepted as beautiful on the full spectrum. So things have definitely changed. And I wanted to know you guys' thoughts about that. Yeah, well, thanks, Selena. I think that's... Um, so positive and so right, you know, in terms of where we've grown, you know, as a culture. I mean, even for black men, you know, I think that we're not playing the villains. Now we're playing the heroes. You know, it's not um, the unruly shaft character, you know, um, and it's not the wieldy Mr. Jefferson, you know. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've even come a long way from Uncle Phil, you know, and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, Will Smith, who were also light-skinned. Let me also, I'm well, yeah, they were light-skinned. And then let's talk about Aunt, whatever her name was, on that show, right? Who started off as really dark-skinned, and then at the end of the series, she was light-skinned. No kidding. Right? Now, question being is like, you know, I don't think that was intentional, Mm. but it ended up being representative in a sense, right? Um, Because as the reports go, that um, the uh, darker skinned actress, I forget her name now, so sorry that I'm blanking on these people's names, um, that she was let go really because of, there were reports of her being more demanding and diva-ish and all of that, you know? So, but it's interesting that you don't replace that character with someone who is, who looks like her you mm-hmm. replace the, that that character with someone who is way lighter skinned to the point where i was completely confused growing up like mm-hmm. not knowing you know is that aunt so-and-so when did, i can't remember her name y'all call in let me remember mm-hmm. it's uncle phil and will and ashley and um and and all the other people on that show but i can't remember what the aunt's name is i'm gonna go home i'm confusing it right now with family matters <sighs> um uh, which is harriet 
Harriet is, uh, right. is the mom on Family yeah. Matters, so I know it's wrong right now. Um, but anyway, to to your point, Selena, you know, there is um, we have seen some some growth, but it is it is um, it is a far cry uh, from being enough. Where we understand really that black is beautiful, and the different textures of black are beautiful, and the diversity of black and brown, you know, for Latinos as well, you know, is um, is beautiful, you know, and we'd be remiss, you know, to not look at some of the Asian stereotypes that are also out there in terms of looks, you know, and 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 what that colorism does, or culturism does, interculturism. Is sort of going on between, say, Chinese and Japanese and Korean and all these different things, you know, that are being portrayed about people of color, um, really regardless, you know, of what's going on in white America. <laughs> you know, we've got these, to your point, Mark, these mountains, you know, that are in front of us as people of color, um, where we're also having to consider um, not only who we bring home to mom, but what shade of color, even if this person is my color, do I do I need to bring home to mom? Mm. Can I bring home to mom? Like if I bring home a light-skinned black person, someone's going to say, "What's wrong? Couldn't find any dark-skinned women." Mm. You know, mm. <laughs> someone's going to say that. You know, mm. I mean, not in my family, but right. somebody's family would do that. You know, but um, but you, I, I I think that there's just something to 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 really consider here that um, you know, to this point about family and and what we're growing up with, what we've been promoting. Um, in the context of our own self-hatred as people mm-hmm. of color because of what we've been bought into, what we've had to struggle with, mm-hmm. um, that because we don't like ourselves, we project that hate mm-hmm. onto each other um, as a method, um, as a mechanism for trying to feel better about ourselves personally. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and I, at least that's that's just what I believe. I think that's yeah. happening. And, and, and that, that's a generalism and it's not happening like, like that for everybody, but, but I think it's something to consider and have a conversation about more. Yeah, and that brings us kind of uh, to, I guess there were some comments in in the the Facebook comments in that thread, where where I agreed with this person. I was like, look, uh, there's absolutely, I 100% believe that there is black hate for a black person to be black hating, especially if they're light skinned. You know, they they don't want anything to do with black culture, and they think they they are better than than that their status is elevated above them. Uh, like 100% agree, that's a thing. Like I, I don't know how that would be disputable. But the problem occurs when I guess you attack everything with broad strokes and say any proximity to that whiteness. As you say, if you bring home a, a light-skinned girl, well, could you not find a dark, darker-skinned girl? Um, that seems to be more projection than than anything. Whereas I feel like and we do that in in a lot of aspects of our lives. But if someone is saying that, they're likely commenting out of is it possible that they're commenting out of, and I think you touched on this earlier, they are being triggered by you bringing home this person, you know, say someone reacted to the fact that you're dating a light-skinned person, that person is triggered from hurts, um, and so they're reacting out of that hurt. How can we identify what is, what are the characteristics that we should look for in in someone to say, okay, that is black-hating, to differentiate mm. between actual black hate and just... Mm. Just, you know, yeah. proximity to one. I mean, I, I think one of the surefire reasons uh, or, or ways of doing that, as somebody I mentioned earlier, is around like, I don't have time to call someone black hating, mm-hmm. right? If someone is black and they got time to call me black hating, then I, you know, just depending on what the context is, like, um, like, like with, with, with these guys who posted about Todrick, 
I'm not doing this in a way to dehumanize them, right? Like, this is, or gals, I forget what they were. Um, but the character judgment that we make about people really does reveal how mature we are and how self-accepting we are about ourselves. So what do I mean? I mean, like, we're called as people to judge. We have to judge whether we go left or we go right. We have to judge what is right, what is wrong, right? That's why we have judges. What we don't necessarily have the right to do all the time is to judge the value and worth of another person, mm-hmm. right? Now, the way that this conversation went regarding Todrick, they were almost like they were judging his worth and his value mm-hmm. and demonizing him for having the relationships that he has, calling him names, saying that he was X, Y, and Z, manipulated, brainwashed, whatever it was that they were using that terminology. I'm like, they don't even know him, mm-hmm. right? And the reality is that if you have time for that kind of vitriol um, in your communication, Mm -hmm. then chances are you are dealing with the very thing that you are calling out in someone else Mm -hmm. because you have enough time for that, right? And which means it's important to you Mm -hmm. that you value taking time to call Mm -hmm. someone else out and to dehumanize them, right? Um, uh, Now, I think there's something to having a constructive conversation around um, self-hate as it relates to the person or the culture of black on black animus, mm-hmm. right? I think that we need to have, um, or brown on black, black on brown, brown on brown, whatever it is, kind of animus. Um, we, we need to have those conversations. And someone who can do what we do, what we, we, we intend to do, which is to have a balanced conversation, a reasonable conversation where someone is rationally um, showing respect to the other person, has control. Mm-hmm. in a sense, over how they're speaking, how they're conducting themselves for the most part, even mm-hmm. if things get heated, right? Um, then I I think that someone is willing to deal, in a sense, with what's going on on the inside mm-hmm. of them. It may not necessarily mm-hmm. be like hate or self. It just has, a, it, there, there's a sense of self that's attached to it, mm-hmm. but there could be some cultural implications too. I think I might have answered your question yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And I would ask, I guess, my follow-up or even clarifying question would be, um or comment is just so we can't make we shouldn't be assessing anyone's character really but if we're the only people maybe that we can speak about are the people whose lives we know and and maybe maybe we can identify black hate in someone um by feeling the sting of their actions if we're close enough to that person to actually feel those. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're, yeah, this is a really good point. I think, let me take it out of this box for, for, for just a second. Let's say someone who's been, uh, you know, villainized in the media, um, Michael Cohen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who's going to jail today, who went to jail mm-hmm. today, right? And we could look at Michael Cohen and say, as oftentimes people do and say, he is the most evil, diabolical person, shady, shyster, lying to Congress, like doing all these things, right? Okay, now, maybe those things are true, you know, in terms of what, he, in, in terms of his behavior, lying to Congress, you know, um, the fixer for the president, I mean, all of these things, right? Now, what if I told you then that Michael, and I don't know this about him, what if I said, you know what, Michael Cohen was abused, um, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, you know, by his family, by people in his life for 15, 20 years, 
What if I told you he was sexually molested? What if I told you that um, that uh, that he was uh, poor for most of his life? What if I what if I gave you context? Right? Mm-hmm. Can we look then at his character and say holistically that he is inherently not of value? Mm-hmm. Right? And yet that's how we treat people because of what we know about them in a snapshot. Mm-hmm. We treat them as though we know them. Mm-hmm especially in this era today where it's so easy to just get behind your computer screen and just start typing from your hip whatever it is you feel in the moment without having to deal with the consequences of what that might produce for another person or for a family mm-hmm. right and so yes we need to be careful i don't i'm not saying don't judge mm-hmm. We have to judge with equity and judge with wisdom and we should do that we've mm-hmm. been given our minds and, and and whatever to do that but in reality, if we do it so callously and have a casual approach, you know, to how we um, um, are doing that with 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 people, then we create casualties mm-hmm. as as well. Yeah. So it's a good point, and I think that maybe that kind of brings us to uh, our calls to action, where you know, because it's healthy to have boundaries, and that's where you need to have good discernment, good judgment, because you do need to protect your boundaries. And I'm a big proponent of that. We've talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. before. That's one of the things you'll talk about in counseling if you ever go seek counseling out. But but where are you operating best as a human being? So some of my mm-hmm. boundaries are just I try to protect the, the number of hours that I get sleeping because as today, as I'm sitting down to, t- to record this podcast, um, I'm a little fatigued and I'm not my best. I'm a little brittle. I'm a little mm-hmm. uh, bristly when I'm, when I'm tired and fatigued. And so... But then there's also relational boundaries that I've established where, um, you know, this is just me operating. This is how I operate. This is how I tick. I gel with a lot of people, but some people don't like the way I operate. And and that's fine. Uh, you talked about this last week on the uh, on the last episode, too, is we give up so much of ourselves. And I think that that is encroaching on our boundaries because we want someone to love us. And if you know your boundaries don't say, OK, well, I can't give up that for your mm-hmm. love. And if that's what you need from me t- uh, is to feel loved, then we're just not, we're not going to be in community together in a relationship or it's not going to be as deep as it could be, you know, and it doesn't have to be romantic. It's just, it could be just friendships. Um, mm-hmm. There's some people that I can't, I just can't like it. Uh, <laughs> I, just I, can't. Can't. I just can't, I just can't do it. Yeah. I just can't be with you. <laughs> yeah, I just can't. I'm sorry. Because I'm not going to be operating at my best. Um, and that's not going to be good for anybody in the long run. There is a, you know, self, there is an element of our lives that does require self-sacrifice and you know you're never going to find someone who gels with you 100 percent um and so once you find that person where you can gel enough then there will be opportunities in your life where you do have to sacrifice some of your own desires and, and things like that but on the whole i'm not gonna lay down my identity or or the things that that make me tick that rec- that make mark a good person I'm, mm-hmm. I have to know what those are and I have mm-hmm. to establish boundaries to protect that. So mm-hmm. I guess, um, I don't know how this really relates to, to colorism, uh, but we talked about being empowered. Mm. And I think that that's kind of what it, it might require. Maybe that's a call to action. I think it it's does. Just, yeah, that's good. Just be a little quiet with yourself to examine, you know, am I being a little spiteful? Am I being a little resentful? Why am I doing those things? And you might mm-hmm. find that you're not protecting your boundaries or that you are reacting if out of your feelings, if you feel like your feelings have been hurt or you've been maligned um, and you say, oh, this person's such a bad person, they're stepping on my toes. Maybe 
there could just be some sensitivities there that you need to to work out and massage out mm-hmm. because you haven't firmly established your own boundaries. Yeah, I think that's really good, Mark. I think it totally relates. I mean, whether it's online or whether it's in your heart, you know, how we see other people is important. And we've been speaking in the context of this podcast for the duration of it, you know, mostly about the relationship of white America to black and brown America. Today, we're talking about the relationship of black America to black America, the relationship between black and brown to black and brown. And it would be really easy to just point the finger and demand something like reparations from white America, right? Without like considering the devastation we would cause because of our own hate towards one another as people of color. Mm. And I think that, I feel that very deeply. If we are going to have a true movement of equity and equality and justice, or at least a furthering of the movement that's already begun, then we will have to look at the psychology, the trauma that we cause one another. Mm. And we can go and talk about that in the context of black on black crime in Chicago or in DC. But we really need to talk about it in the context of what we find to be beautiful and the things that we also then in contrast find to be savagery. Mm. And it is not only the color of our skin, but it is the way we talk. It is the way we walk. It is the texture of our hair, the color of our eyes whom we call family, who we say we love, and who we say we don't love for any number of reasons. Um, Yeah, it's about colorism. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's all just, maybe it's all just racism. Yeah. I don't know. What would you tell someone to do after listening to this? If What would you tell someone to whether they're racist or white racist or whether they're a black racist. They're going to kill us for that one. But as <laughs> folks, I can hear it now. I'm like, black folks can't be racist. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are you? Like, I can't tell you that that's no. not true. Um, what would I tell someone? I mean, I, I think, you know, we're such a broken record here mm-hmm. when it comes to human dignity and respect, have conversations, love one another. You know, we have this thing in the Bible that says they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, Mm -hmm. right? Not just by our love, you know, which is where we like, where Christians like to cut it off because you can just love yourself and think you're supposed to just be, you know, representing Christianity out here. That's not true. It's where we love one another. It's actually now, does that mean everyone has to be a Christian in order to do that? No, it means that we will know that you are emulating and demonstrating those ideals that are the picture of the man Christ Jesus was in the earth. If you are loving one another, right? If, if, if we are loving one another, you know, um, and this is the beauty of, 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 of the entirety of, of the fullness of the civil rights movement is that you're, that everyone was invited into um, partaking in the potential of Christ-like attitude and Christ-like behavior, whether or not you are a Christian or not. Mm-hmm. It was the respect 
of the Imago Dei, the image of God in everybody, right? And so in having these conversations, this is the fundamental, this is the baseline. We don't have the answers here. We're just telling you what we think and our, and our thoughts are forming and they're changing. So don't hold against me what I said in episode one of season one in episode four of season two. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you know, I mean, you could hold it against me because this stuff is evergreen. We've, we've, we've taken the risk and put this out here for anyone to consume and to come back, our jobs, our careers, our families, whatever it is, people can go back and listen to this. And that's okay because we believe there's a common good in this and we're not anything you know, any more special than anybody else out here that's listening to this. But what we want is we want you to continue to have the conversations with yourself, with your friends, with your family, get, get, get stupid with it. And actually don't, don't, don't run away from this content. If it's something that you're really feeling. And and I can tell you hands down when you're dealing with it is when you get angry or when you're frustrated or when you're depressed or when you're anxious or when you're looking at the world and trying to blame politics or blame, or blame politicians or blame social media or blame, you know, Zuckerberg or whoever it is you're, you're looking at, you know, recognizing that you're not actually accessing the fullness of your own power and your strength to carry these conversations for whatever reason. And if you dug on that, then you might be able to find and discover your power again to do some good. And that's what we're compelling. That, that, that's what we're hoping for. So yeah, sing it out because you got me hot and bothered. <laughs> you go, I can hear Tajik will love that. <laughs> Tajik, sing it on the last one. That's good. So it's good. But then some other resources just to finish out, you know, if you guys haven't watched the movie Carmen, uh, it's an old movie with Dorothy Dandridge. Go watch that. Um, it would be good, you know, just to do some research on Willie Lynch. You know, just go look this stuff up and educate yourselves. You know, we we are learning to be a self-aware community of people that are maybe listening to this podcast, you know, that we are a community and a fellowship of folks. Like we do events and things like that so that we can bring together, you know, our own friends and people that are, that are listening to us so that we can develop a real self-aware community who's having these conversations in a perpetual way, not just listening to us, not just listening to us, these, these numb, numb suckles, you know, talk about things, you know, whatever it is we're doing, you know, we're just creating space for ourselves Mm -hmm. and creating space, hopefully for other people. Totally. And that's actually, maybe that's what we should have named the podcast was numb suckles. Numb suckles. Numb suckles. Numb suckles. Numb suckles. Sing it out. You're going to get recorded next time. It's the album, the album of Mark Bauer. And I'm with the whole time without coughing until just then. So I think that's time to wrap it up. But thanks for listening this time. uh, Again, please follow us on all the socials. Uh, Please share with your friends. Uh, Please comment. Leave us audio messages. And uh, we hope that we can respond to those in the next episode which is undetermined we don't know what we're going to talk about next but maybe just like with this one it would trigger in people something so uh so heavy that you're gonna feel compelled to reach out and say okay this is what y'all need to talk about next um because i kind of enjoyed it it was scary at the same time maybe maybe won't do it again for a couple <laughs> for of a little while because yeah. we have a lot more we can dig into yeah, on this i'm so sorry much. yeah we do yeah so uh but we hope to just skim the surface and hope to uh to give you enough to uh compel you to go out and do some of your own research mm-hmm. with some of those resources that brandon gave you so thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time love y'all Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of 
Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.